anyways. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, but no, the, 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 so we have the Discord going. Yes. And in the Discord, like, some people wanted to start a book club, which is cool. I like book clubs. I go to a book club myself, right? Uh, and apparently they're going to be uh, alternating fiction and nonfiction and stuff. And there was a big old vote as to what the first book would be. And, like, I mean, I don't know. I was kind of <laughs> hopeful that at some point somebody would be like, hey, we should read Let's Write What Lies Dreaming. But uh, it was the very first book picked. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. Out of like eight on the list, it won enormously. So. Yeah. So uh, I guess starting when this episode airs is when the book club begins. So go to our Discord if you want to be in on that. And they're starting with the first four or five chapters. And then I don't know how frequently they'll be discussing and reading and stuff. But yeah, that's the first one. There's a special channel for it in the Discord if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. Online book club sounds like much more vi my vibe too. I think... It encouraged me to read more, like, dedicate actual, like, that's probably part of the reason that you do a book club, that, like, it actually forces you to read stuff. Yeah. And, like, the social commitment, right? Rather than just, like, a personal commitment to finish a boring book. Yeah, well, um, I mean, if, if it's a boring book, I don't finish it, even if it's for book club. Well, that's not entirely true. I'll sometimes hate read a book, oh, so yeah. I can talk about it in book club. Hate reading books is pretty fun sometimes. It's, what it, it stopped being fun for me for doing it solo, but doing it when I know I'm going to talk about it. Like, the reason yeah. I, I go to book club is because I really love reading. But then when you're done reading, you have like this whole thing you've gone through and you can't talk about it with anyone else because no one else has gone through. I think you can try, but like you could just bore the shit out of one of your friends. Like, hey, let me tell you about this fun book I read. OK, so in chapter one, there's this guy <laughs> yeah. and they're like, uh-huh. That's uh -huh. why I think that's why popularity is so big because you can talk about other things. That's like why when the Harry Potter train gets rolling, like everyone gets on Harry Potter because you can actually talk about it. And the Marvel Universe stuff, yeah. once you know other people are doing the same thing, you can share the experience. And so, yeah, the book club is like... I read a lot more books than people than get popular in a year, you know? And so having this other dedicated core people that'll read the same books and we can all talk about it afterwards with is really cool. So there are like five things there I want to touch on. Okay. I'll try and be as fast as possible. All right. And I'll probably forget at least one or two. So one, uh, this is the fastest and least, least relevant, like how, you know, when things are popular, you want to talk about them. So Netflix, when they do a series, they do all the episodes at once, yes, which means yeah, go home so and watch all of Stranger Things in one weekend so they can talk about it with your coworkers on Monday. I can't either. Many, pe many people can't. And so that that's hard for that. So Disney, when their thing launches in November, they're doing episodic weekly releases for their original content. Thank God. Which I really cool. think Netflix should go to that too. They they hopefully need to make some changes. They're losing money. Because, you know, I mean, um, binging was really big when it was introduced. But now it's like people want more content every weekend because they've gone through all of your season eight or season whatever in a matter of a few hours. Yeah. I think uh, Netflix has been down in profits and new customers for the last like quarter or two. So mm -hmm. they're, they're going to be updating their model if they want to stay in business. Um, and there's like actual healthy competition now, right? So yeah. Um, so that's fun, uh, reading things and boring people by talking about them when they haven't read it yet. Yeah. So I'm going to do that to you two and to the, to the listeners. Oh God, I real time again? I finished, no, no. <laughs> okay. I finished Draco Malfoy and the Practice of Rationality, which I think I plugged. If I didn't, I meant to. Mm -hmm. um, I think you did. I believe you did. So it was fun. I enjoyed the whole thing. I do recommend reading it, although I am not as like vehement to my recommendation as I was in the first third of it. Changes kind of what it seemed like it was going to do a bit. Uh, and then disappointing. It is. And he, he opens the book with like, you know, heads up. People complained about the ending. And I'm like, how can they complain? This is going to be great. I'm mm. loving it. <laughs> and uh, the this isn't a spoiler, but the, the author said that it was a deliberate artistic choice to make the reader feel as ambushed as the characters hmm. because the end is confusing. There's it, There's this complex plot that comes together. 
and you're like, what the fuck is happening? And he's like, I wanted you to feel that way too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, he succeeded. Um, so there's that. And then there's a, a semi-satisfying three-chapter epilogue that he apparently released like a year later. But since this was three years ago, it was all, all at once for me. Yeah. So I do recommend Draco Malfoy and the Practice of Rationality. It picks up at year two. And it's just a continuation fic of Methods of Rationality. It's not another diversion of this and that. So yeah. um, let's see. A few other things you mentioned. Uh, oh, I, I didn't mention that apparently um, some of the people in the Discord don't like... I mean, they do audiobooks like most people do, especially people who listen to podcasts because <laughs> this is our preferred medium. And uh, there's a bunch of people who are just like, or at least one person might be expanding now, was like, sure, I'll read this into a microphone and upload it. So... Uh, yeah, if you wanted What Lies Dreaming in audio form, I guess you can get it on the Discord. And I'll probably be putting it up at uh, my website as well so people can get it there. Oh, sweet. One chapter at a time. Yeah. I think they've recorded the first four chapters now. And the yeah. fifth one is coming up. Cool. Are we ready to go in? Yeah. I believe so. I mean, that, that part's going in episode two, though, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is this is it. We're in it. Oh, we're in it. Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jess Dickey. And guess what we're talking about today? No, you guess. God damn it. Wait, I'm not sure what we're, what we're going to talk about again. Leave a long pause so the listeners can guess amongst themselves as to what today's topic is. That'd and, be really dumb. And it, topics can be almost anything. Yeah. But what I was trying to do is set up a conflict and then a mistake where one of us got it wrong. And All right, sorry. So what we're talking about today is uh, Scott Alexander's conflict theory versus mistake theory post. And I feel kind of guilty about doing this. It feels like we're leaning on Scott a little too hard because just like three episodes ago, we talked about one of his posts too. But this one is like a year, oh, a year and a half old now. And we kept meaning to get to it and we never quite did. And it's just really good. So uh, yeah, I think it was on, important to cover it at some point. It's been on the list for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fun. I, I, what I liked about it, well, we'll talk about it as we go through, but like the general overview is that he paints caricatures of both sides and it's fun because like neither of them are obviously the wrong one, and if I mean at least when I was reading it, I found myself liking parts of both of them. Yeah. Right. And I. There was one that I definitely liked a lot more, but I did see the other side as well. Yeah. yeah. And there, this isn't to turp off David Spearman's joke about like, well, on two Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I'm a, an anarchist, and on the other two, I'm doing <laughs> this. Yeah. But for me, it's like every five seconds, I can totally see, you know, in, in half my moods, I'm a mistake theorist, half of mine, I'm a conflict theorist. And in half of them, I think that that dichotomy is missing part of the point. So yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Most people are probably somewhere along a spectrum of mistaken conflict. Did you see that post about the bisexual lady who was like, bisexual in the fact that she was uh male attracted january through june and female july through december i've never seen that post it was really cool apparently this girl asked her out and she was like no i'm bisexual and she's like that's okay (laughs) she's like no you don't understand come back in july and she did and then she dated her for six months and she was like all right it's january i'm sorry we got to break up but we can get together again in july that sounds like a really stupid rule to impose on yourself. I don't, I don't know. know if it's a rule or maybe that like actually is her attraction pattern. Attraction patterns are weird. I'm also bisexual and uh, I've gone through periods of being like, I think I'm actually straight. And then like two years later, oh man, I'm actually gay. <laughs> it's like not 50. I don't know. I think the idea a lot of people have of bi is just like, you're just about like, you know, attracted to guys and girls equally in the same amount all the time. It fluctuates. Well, I, I, I didn't, and the, the, I, I certainly agree that it fluctuates, but I, and, and it could be, you know, 
no, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly straight or I'm partly whatever. But like to say that, it, no, July 1st is when my clock shifts. I don't yeah, think that, that that's your, a little bit your, your body specific. doesn't know what month it is. Right. That's definitely self-imposed. But I thought it was kind of cool. It, it keeps you from getting stuck in a relationship you may not necessarily want. It also keeps you from sticking in one that you might want. Yeah, but if you want it, then you can come back to it again in six months. Yeah, assuming they're willing to wait around for you. Oh, so yeah. this was this person's, like, th- they were doing this intentionally. Yeah. Not, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. that's that's a thing. I mean, I assume it was intentional because again, your your sexuality doesn't shift on a dime on June thirtieth midnight. Yeah, you don't wake up suddenly and be like, "Oh, this person next to me repulses me," yeah. like, or I'm not interested in them. Right? It could be more like of a sine wave, and you're like, "All right, I know <laughs> at about the time summer starts, I'm gonna wanna start being attracted the other way, so I'll just set this cut off for myself." Oh, then that actually makes more sense if you're thinking like wardrobe wise, right? <laughs> my, my winter clothes are much nicer than my summer clothes oh. <laughs> okay. and so if she's attracted to guys in the summer in the winter that makes more sense to me oh, you know okay. like a little more people have a little you know beard, facial hair to stay warm and you know heavy like awesome coats and then of course tight clothes and bikini weather in the winter in the summer that's that's you know you can more enjoy the female form that that time of year gotcha but i had not considered that that's the only way this makes sense to me i i, I mean by all means do whatever you want i'm not shitting on it it's just like i don't i don't make i don't think it makes sense to have that rule imposed for yourself if like it doesn't actually make you happy i'll link the tumblr post it was really cool there were jokes about uh, persephone from the old greek goddess greek myths okay she was the one that had to go down with hades for six months out of every year yeah. oh that's right yeah. yeah it's been a long time since my greek mythology classes in high school so anyway Mistake theory. Right. Conflict theory. Wow, we got off a topic right away. That's all right. We'll, we'll get it out of the way early. Do either of you want to jump into this, or should I? Um, let's see. Let's do, like, a brief overview of what they both are. Yeah. Uh, I would say mistake theory is the kind of, the kind of uh, caricaturized version that Scott describes is this kind of Vulcan who is just trying to find the best solution for the state. Or, I guess, uh, it could be whatever other kind of conflict they're trying to manage. So they're just weighing the options, they're doing the math, they're being utilitarian about it. There's obviously a right answer, and we just have to find it. Yeah, and there's, like, open and honest communication amongst all people. And it's not that one side is bad and they're doing things for bad, evil reasons. Just like they, they have an idea about how things should be. You have an idea and you're all going to get together and try to find the best idea. Yeah, yeah I think I think this makes more sense in the context that it focuses on of like uh, political problems or like, you know, state solutions. I don't know if this would make, I, although they talk, I think he makes, makes an example of like, you know, arguing with your boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, it is, that's also a politics situation kind of. Yeah, I have something uh, to say about that a little later, but let's okay. do, uh, does somebody want to tackle what they think conflict theory is? Yeah, conflict theory, I thought, was much more of the, the more traditional narrative of, uh, well, I always think of Marx with the class conflicts, but the idea that there's two different people with, uh, or two different groups of people with different goals and they are mutually incompatible and there can only be conflict. The only way to, res- to resolve this is by one group dominating the other. And it's not like that there is a mistake that someone thinks that this policy will help the nation, but they're just wrong about that. It's that this other person wants this thing that will help them and will hurt me. And there's no way to resolve that aside from forcing them to instead implement this thing, which will help me and hurt them. Which is, you know, the traditional proletariat versus uh, bourgeoisie proletariat versus capitalist sort of conflict there's also i think the 
the kind of high level view that like the mistake theorist thinks that the conflict theorist is just you know making a mistake yeah. right like no no you're actually you're kind of framing this wrong yeah and, and then con- if you could just explain it to them then they'd understand right and the conflict theorist theorist says no you don't get it I'm, this isn't about like them not understanding it they they understand exactly what they want and they're doing this to get there and the rich and powerful are going to keep pushing their way through or you know your boss is going to continue to fuck you over and he knows exactly what he's doing um this isn't like if they had the information that you had or you know we could all agree on a solution you get if you guys are trying to do that you're missing the point yeah. there's this this is an actual fight and you're not going to talk your way out of this yeah and there's stakes i think is one of the uh if i were to be charitable to the conflict side which i i am to some extent um i think that there is value to the argument that there are actual stakes here like you can stand there and like be like oh you know uh genocide or not genocide well let's uh <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's really look at discuss which is this. better for the human yeah. race overall <laughs> so yeah. and i think uh personally the feeling that i get from everyone i know and everything i've read is that rationalists are very much on the mistake side of things that they think there is a optimal solution if we could just find it and implement it and that uh it's better to do that than do violent things yeah but is that the feeling you guys got if if that wasn't the intended reading of it then i'm not sure what what, what it was yeah i mean that's okay. the there aren't in my understanding a lot of pockets of rationality that are like pro rev, you know violent revolution right mm-hmm. um, i don't know they, about violent revolution i know there's a few people in the rationalist community that self-identify as conflict theorists sure and there's some that identify as anarchists and stuff like that too but i think <laughs> um the maybe it's just the 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 insight that we wouldn't win a con a physical conflict there aren't enough of us and many of us don't want to fight people so like <laughs> we're weak yeah, nerds i would, <laughs> <laughs> I would <laughs> also really hope that even if we you know manage to get ai with killing murder bots on our side that we would still stick with mistake theory like our ideal is that we would still want to convince people rather than being like oh we're more powerful now let's impose our ideas even if we had our robots hold them down and fix their brains for them right (laughs) god (laughs) well no that's the thing like i for a long time uh i was very much a liberal and big part of that was that the liberals were on the side of free speech that you know Anyone can say anything, no matter how offensive it is, how much the the other people might consider it obscene, because people can say whatever they want. I and don't for, remember when that was the liberal position. It it was when I was a kid, oh. and it was this was the '80s when conservatism oh. was really big, and everyone was straight laced, and the major, moral majority had political power. And uh, then, yeah, like the reverse happened. The liberals got a lot more power. And now all of a sudden they were the ones being like, yeah, I'm not down with this whole free speech thing. There's some speech that just should not be allowed because it is harmful for society. And now the right was the one saying everyone should have free speech. I'm like, you motherfuckers. Well, <laughs> just 20 years ago, you were the ones saying that free speech is, you know, this plague on society that will bring us all down. And so now I just kind of hate them both for being like, <laughs> we're for free speech when we are the weak people who need it to protect our speech. But uh, once we get power, we're not. I mean, I think that's just how power goes but to be, to be fair the, the conservative side isn't pro free speech in every aspect right they prefer blasphemy laws and right, yeah. you know you can't you can't tarnish the name of the president or something right the only time so, they're pro free speech is when they're being censored i think i think what's the only thing that's changed is that the left has now some positions where or some people have some positions where they're like no free speech makes sense except for these things and now that they're putting any marks at all on free speech now it's it's not that the that the move has shifted to the left of being anti-free speech. It's just like now they're actually raising some things up. 
Yeah, but I mean, the right before was like, yeah, we're all for pro-free speech, except for this awful pornography thing that is turning our children into degenerates. Or, you know, sex education, or telling them that gay people are real, or like, (laughs) uh, that abortion is is an option, or that... Atheism. Yeah. Yeah. Comparative religion classes. And they they still want all those things. Yeah, the only time someone is for censorship is when they think that the stuff needs to be censored because it is harmful for society, right? Right. Yeah. But I was saying that you made it sound like they'd switch sides, like they had switched their stance on free speech. I'm like, no, the, the conservative side is still against free speech, right, but right. just all the things that they still have been against in the past. Right, but now they are vocally for, oh, man, you're, you're suppressing free speech, man, whereas before it was the opposite. What about the gray tribe or the intellectual dark web people? I feel like they genuinely value free speech. Yeah, I, I think they're a tiny minority, but I love the fact that they actually do seem to care about actual free speech. Yeah. Like, I like the fact that I think right up until just a few months ago, the ACLU was willing to defend anyone on free speech rights, no matter you know what they were doing. Whether it was Larry Flint, uh, with with um, Hus not Hustler, was it Hustler? I think it was Hustler, the big really bad porn mag from back in the days when you know showing your ankles was scandalous. To, <laughs> They're still to, around. Uh, to like you know I know to to the the, the almost Nazi-ish people. The I mean they 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 defended Fred Phelps when he was picketing gay funerals. They were like, you know what? If free speech is free speech, no matter how much we hate these people. And I really respected the hell out of that. Yeah. And there's just not very many people like You're that. using past tense. Do they not do that anymore? Uh, I heard that they recently had... They, they went... They dropped one of their free speech cases just because they were getting so much pushback from basically everyone. And, and they were like, we probably won't be able to continue as an organization if we don't drop this. We're going to lose too much. I mean, let's be real, too. I don't imagine there's a lot of, uh, like you know, rich conservatives donating to the ACLU, right? So okay. if they're going to spend all their money defending Nazis, I'm, I'm going to stop giving them my money to, you know, defend Nazis with, right? So... No, I mean, they were using their money to defend anyone. Yeah. It's... Not but, just Nazis. They were defending I, the principal. Right. No, I, and I, I, I get that and I totally endorse that. But as, like, the person who's writing a check, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, who are they defending now? Uh, you know, fucking this guy? Nah, forget it. Well, then, I mean, then you didn't really believe in free speech. That's... I guess that's if fair. You stop, yeah, yeah, writing that check. Yeah, that's true. Or rather, it's not true that I don't believe in free speech. That's true that that's what someone would say. So as it is, I don't think I've actually given money to the ACLU. Like oh. other than, you know, whatever. They were on my yearly list. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Them. I need to put together a real one. Right now it's hodgepodge. So yeah. anyway. Anyway. Uh, I pulled up like eight um, dichotomies that, that he put in, which I thought were really interesting. We could maybe like cover them as examples and also possibly comment on them if we feel like it. Cool. All right. All righty. Well, since I started this thing, I'll grab the first one. I'll make sure I'm doing this. Okay. Um, mistake theorists treat politics as science, engineering, or medicine. The state is diseased. We're all doctors standing around arguing over the best diagnosis and cure. Some of us have good ideas. Others have bad ideas that wouldn't help or would cause too many side effects. Conflict theorists treat politics as war. Different blocks with different interests are forever fighting to determine whether the state exists to enrich the elites or to help the people. Which, uh... I mean, for the most part, I I am on board with one because I think that it's much better to have a world where we're all working together trying to find a diagnosis. But I also read like a lot of cyberpunk and pretty much <laughs> all the fiction that you read when you're younger is about the elites being assholes and how the people have to rise up, right? So I have a very big emotional root in that still. Yeah, I think it's important to to differentiate between this isn't like what you want the world to look like this is how the world is these aren't questions of like this is what i want this is the question of like what's actually out there yeah is is 
this a is does mistake theory explain what I'm seeing or does conflict theory explain what I'm seeing? Not what I what not what I not which philosophy would I like to go with, right? Mm -hmm. I and think so, it also determines a lot of what you see though. Yeah. Like recently one of the Koch brothers died and I saw a lot of people, you know, cheering about that and yes, I think they've done a huge amount of harm to the earth with their, you know, global warming isn't real bullshit. Uh and and to civil society by by like what was the um the United Oh, Citizens uh, United? Citizens United versus the, the FEC, where yeah. it's like, no, no, of course, you know, corporations are people, and we can give our money to put anti-campaign ads, you know, right before the debates against the politician we don't want to, to win. Yeah. It's like, when you get to buy elections through through manipulating people because you're rich, puts me in, puts me in my, con picks me, makes me ready to put on my conflict theory hat, right? But they had a lot of good things that they did, too, because they were, they were less socially conservative and more along the lines of fuck the government sort of conservative they, they they funded a lot of things that i actually think are good things they they were very uh pro-free speech for example are you saying that they were complicated humans and not just cartoon villains and that is unfortunately what i am forced to say yeah huh. that they did a lot of terrible things but they also did like some things i'm like wow that's that's exactly what i think on that issue how are they on my side on this you know because it benefits them personally too uh, no, there were things that didn't benefit them personally. Like what? So uh, they are in support of same-sex marriage, uh, in support of withdrawing the U.S. military from the Middle East and cutting defense spending in general. Uh, they are in support of massive uh, criminal reform where a lot of things are decriminalized and where uh, people are given their due process instead of being forced to plea bargain everything and people aren't given excessive bail, keeping them from you know getting back to their lives. Uh, there's, I know you're probably going to be surprised by this, but, um, they are, I assume you're going to be surprised. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this. God, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, you're good. After the first three, there's I'm not so sure I'll be surprised now. or not. Okay. Uh, those first three did surprise the hell out of me. They're very against, uh, business and government mixing and, uh, are trying to get subsidies like just gone entirely. So hmm. businesses fail or succeed based on whether they're good at the business not at how well they can lobby and get congress money diverted and get taxpayer money diverted to them uh they want to get rid of all the special exceptions and tax codes that politicians give to whoever they like best you know mm -hmm. why uh, do they lobby for for senators that give them these tax breaks and stuff well because they they want the actual senators in place and some of the tax breaks are things other people push not they push like, you only get a choice between two senators, and they have to pick which one is they think is more on their side in any particular seat. I did see a, a tweet on Reddit that was screencapped, and it was like, when a Koch brother dies, who inherits their senators? <laughs> <laughs> and then someone, of course, replies, oh, they should bury them with them, like, you know, the pharaohs and their cats. <laughs> nice. Um, but, yeah, and then also yeah. very much for digital free speech, like we've been. So Those are all things I'm super for. That's, right. That's, that's, and I'm not that's sure surprising. if all that stuff makes up for how much damage they will do to all the poor nations th through global climate change over the next 30 years or so. Or the, you know, again, the corporations as people thing in 2003 wasn't, I don't think that was a good move for the shitty. history of the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't seem to jam with like keeping or business out of politics. Right. Um, but maybe in the, in the ways that you clarified it, it did. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. So you're right. That is a, a more nuanced position and, yeah. It's, it is mm, nicely refreshing and super annoying that somebody <laughs> can be, you know, it's like, oh, you're not just a fucking villain. Yeah. You, you know, they're, you know, that's, that's interesting. It was much easier when I knew I just hate the Cokes. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not a Coke historian. I'm sure there's 
you know, people that are like, oh no, if you look at their track record, it's 95% bad. And these five things that Enos mentioned are the only good things they've ever done in their lives, but, well, and, um, I mean, or vice versa. If you, if you look at it in conflict theory terms where it's basically reds versus blues, they were pretty consistent in most elections being like, I mean, we hate both these guys, but the red guy is better than the blue guy in this case. And so they would generally always fund the Republican side of things, which, uh, you know, kind of fuck that shit. But um, it's it's not like they were supportive of all this, you know, make all the drugs illegal, criminalize being gay thing. They were just like, in our list of priorities, we think the red is better than the blue overall for this thing. So they were complicated and possibly mistaken about where the money should go, but did not they, evil. Were, were the, like, the pro-gay marriage stance, was that like just a thing they said or did they donate money? Like, did they put their, I mean... Uh, I don't think that I their initiative you. was pro uh, gay marriage. Like, I don't think that they have as a specific organization sure. that they used to to fund a lot of things. And I don't think that organization did anything with uh, gay marriage. So they have been supportive of it, like vocally. But and and that's better. That's a lot better than nothing. Right. And you know, throwing money at it is better than saying something. Um, you know, when you're a billionaire, it doesn't cost you anything to go against the the party line. When you know, you you literally you've got a billion dollars right so um it, it would be i think it always there's... costs you something to go against the party line i'm sure it does i i meant that in a way that like you're you know you might you might go from you know 1.7 to you know 1.6 billion that's well, not no, a i mean huge it obviously doesn't cost you anything in terms of money but i think in terms of social capital the more you are opposing your group the more the less people want to cooperate with yeah, you maybe and then exactly. of course then of course being i'm going to put on my, my conflicts my conflicts theorist hat for a second, which is like, sure, I could signal my allegiance to, to supporting gay marriage for not for no cost to me to show the blue tribe that I'm not an evil person, but I'm not going to actually do anything. So I, I'm going to just try and get people to hate me less by just making some noises. Yeah, yeah kind of like when a uh, Starbucks like donates a bunch of money to some cause, like fair trade coffee. But they're actually putting money out, right? So if they yeah, just but if, I they, mean, like, if well, all Starbucks did was say we're pro free trade coffee, no, right. but when the companies do it, generally it's so they can get tax breaks, right? Yeah. Or, or, or just like goodwill. A, yeah, have yeah. like a good public image so more people will buy their coffee. Like they're self-interested. Yeah. Like, yeah. Corporations are profit maximizers. Literally everything they do is because they think it will increase profits. But I think that it would actually, I mean, a blue tribe person is not going to think that the Koch brothers are any less evil just because they're pro-same-sex marriage. Oh, like, I do. Okay, you said that. Well, but most, you, <laughs> I mean, you literally also just said that, oh, I'm going to say this so people think I'm less evil, but I'm still going to be evil, right? Yeah. Whereas, you know, so they're not really buying any or much goodwill by that, but they're kind of alienating people on their side that they need to coordinate with. Okay. By That's their true. side, in quotes. Again. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes a compelling point. And I, you know, certainly I think speech is free when you're rich, right? So, like, if, you, if you're if you're struggling to get by and like you like you again if you're a struggling corporation yeah. you need to like make sure you're not losing friends right. by saying things and so you're you, in that sense that's what i mean by speech being free if you're, if you're a billionaire then it's like i can say whatever i want i'm going to stay a billionaire i see what you're saying i think once you get that level of rich i mean yes speech costs you more when you're not like davos rich that then you actually have to be concerned about money but once you get to a certain level of rich it's not about the money anymore it's about the social influence, the power that you have through that, and then speech starts costing you in other ways. Yeah, you're playing a different game now with different stakes. Yeah, yeah. I guess what I'm saying though is that they're not risking anything other than like again, I guess losing social capital against the people that they're well, I mean, typically allied with. At that level in the game, that's all that matters. It's not like they will ever not have mega mansions, right? 
that's my point yeah. kind of i think we're, I, we're talking past each other a bit like my thing is they could lose all their allies and mm-hmm. still be you know set for you know the next five generations yeah. of, their, of their of their whole family line they right? don't have to worry about being fired from their job and then starving on the streets because exactly. they needed that job to make ends meet or yeah. or you know but i mean that's that's assuming that the end of the game is to be able to be set for multiple generations whereas at that point they're playing a different game where now it's like actually trying to influence the world and that's i mean higher stakes and also not done with money nearly as much as it is with other levers of power i mean you could do a lot with a hundred million dollars yeah yeah and if you're not if you're not writing a five thousand dollar check to some pro-gay marriage uh, lobby group then you're saying something doesn't mean much but I'm getting hung up on the one example. My point okay, is, yeah. it, it seems like, yeah, there there were some redeeming factors there, and that's uh, fun. That's a fun convoluting detail to their existence. And I just just to make it very clear, I am not pro Coke at all. I think they've done much more harm in their lives. No, you're pro honesty, which is dope. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This going to the second point. Let's do that. Uh, mistake theorists view debate as essential. We all bring different forms of expertise to the table, and once we all understand the whole situation, we can use wisdom of crowds to converge on the treatment plan that best fits the needs of our mutual patient, the state. Who wins on any particular issue is less important than creating an environment where truth can generally prevail over the long term. Conflict theorists view debate as having a minor clarifying role at best. You can debate with your boss over whether or not you get a raise, but only with the shared understanding that you're naturally on opposite sides, and the winner will be based less on objective moral principles than on how much power each of you has. If your boss appeals too many times to objective moral principles, he's probably offering you a crappy deal. (laughs) Which puts me, I don't know, the first example I'm leaning pretty hard mistake, and then this example I'm kind of like, nah, kind of conflict. That's why I like the post is it's not he, he clearly wasn't picking a side and he, he goes on at the end just to say this is that I've been doing but maybe I've been viewing things wrong. Like he doesn't paint a, a nice rosy picture of the mistake theorists and this dumb caricature of the, of the conflict theorists. I think he does a pretty balanced job. Yeah, I'm not sure he does. I, I, I think he does a somewhat balanced job. I felt like I felt in almost every example and maybe this is just me being very pro mistake theorist myself. But I thought in almost every example, the mistake theorists felt very reasonable and the kind of people that I would want to have around me and be in power and the conflict theories felt almost like caricatures of dumb people. Yeah. I think you weren't modeling the conflict theorists, which is weird because you described to me that in your teenagers, you were like a, you know, burn it down anarchist. Yeah. I figured you'd get it. I thought you'd be more conflict theorist side when we got here. I knew, I knew, I think we can guess where we're all at, but I like, I think their thing isn't like that we're dumb and we feel like just, you know, everything we need to kill all these bad people it's just like no things are really this bad this is the only way to fix it yeah well, I mean, so the problem is that now i think of my teenage self as wrong no that's good <laughs> rather than evil so it's <laughs> i'm still looking even at my past as in the mistake theorist for format if it's, i was if i was still viewing if i still agree with my teenage self and all my stuff i would be a really stupid person so yeah and i'm only kind of a dumb person because <laughs> i disagree with most things my teenage self believed so i mean there objectively there are many times when conflict is what's actually happening especially when you have a shitty boss like when you have a good boss it's not that big a thing but when you do have one of these people that are just assholes and are trying to squeeze as much out of their workers as they can before they ditch them that sucks yeah then it's it is much more like an actual conflict thing and again it's not that they're missing the facts it's not that they're that 
you know, we just need to talk this out. We can come to an amicable, amicable solution. They're like, no, I've got it figured out and I hold the cards. So yeah. I, had such, I have a good example of that. <laughs> My yeah. last boss, I had a shitty boss who um, just liked to go on power trips. And this was the type of person who would make up arbitrary rules just so like she could have power over people, like which things you are and aren't allowed to wear to the office, which were really arbitrary. Um, there was the headphones policy where even if you're like in your room doing office work all day long, you can't wear headphones because it's a safety hazard. Even hmm. if you're not dealing with patients at all, like uh, there was a bunch of things like you can't use your computer for anything other than work related stuff. And if I catch you for one second Googling something, then like you're in trouble. And like it's the weird kind of if, if somebody were actually aiming at trying to get like value out of their workers uh, there's been a lot of studies that show, first of all, people have about four hours of productive like work time in them, and these eight-hour work shifts end up just being people dicking around for four hours or working very slowly and inefficiently throughout the eight hours. I think it depends by industry as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it applies more to knowledge work probably, but yeah. then there's still like physical exhaustion if you're doing manual labor or whatever, right. but like... And then stuff like open offices. There's a different boss that I had that was like insistent upon we we got to open up the office space. I want everybody collaborating, everybody talking to everybody all the time. I can't work like that. God, nope. that's why I wear headphones. I I talked to my current boss actually. Uh, I just got a new job and I was like, "What's your headphones policy?" And he was like, "Headphones policy? <laughs> you can wear them." I mean, <laughs> and I was like, "No, like, is it a safety hazard?" He's like, "What?" It's like, "No, I'm telling you this because I like have the alarms ASD. are loud enough." Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, like, on the spectrum, and I can't deal with lots of voices. Like, I, I need, like, some quiet in order to read and be able to work and process that. He's like, no, yeah, you, you can wear headphones. I mean, obviously, like, if someone's trying to talk to you, you got to take them off. But, like, <laughs> and then, like, the other thing, uh, the previous boss had said that the FDA was going to write us up if she came in and saw that people were wearing jeans. That's, yeah, that's and, like, not a, a think, mistake God, that the, they're making. The of. thing I hate most about conflict theorist people is that they force everyone around them into the conflict. You can't, like, have a reasonable discussion about, God, I, I think it was an NPR article or I uh, heard recently about a guy who was working as a fruit picker, right, as a young man. And he was, like, really fast. He got to the end of the row. And everyone was still, like, two-thirds of the way working through theirs. So he's like, all right, I did my work. I'm going to rest. And the boss was like, no, get over to the next row and start picking. And he's like, uh, yeah. no, everyone else is working at that speed. I got done faster so that I could have a break now. And he, like, got in his face, and he was, like, physically threatening him, you know? He's like, I don't care. I'm the boss. You do this, or I will have someone come over here and beat you. And, like, what do you do at that point? There, there's there, no arguing. Yeah, there's I no a much arguing. milder version of this where, uh, say, I was working at, like, a retail store, and I finish all of the, the work that I have to do. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I feel like I deserve to read a magazine until a customer comes in or until there's a mess or until I need to make more food or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But, like... I've worked at jobs where I had a boss that was like, yeah, sure, if you finish all the work, read a magazine. And I've had bosses that were like, oh, if you finish all the work, you got to just, basically, they tell you, you got to fake being busy. Mm -hmm. Because if I see you looking like you're not doing, like, the work that I'm paying you to do, then then that makes me upset. Yeah, so they... you got to, like, go, like, Windex everything three times and shuffle all the stuff on the shelves around and count all the receipts and then recount them. And, and I think a boss physically threatening you like he did is literally illegal. I'm assuming I'm, he's a fruit picker. He might not yeah. have had legal recourse. Right. You don't have legal yeah. recourse. What, 
Like, at that point, I would have been like, I'd bring a knife employed? to work next time and stab him in the gut. But then, of course, I would be killed by the mob or whoever it was that was employing him. So Yeah, and also, you wouldn't receive a, your paycheck anymore. And... Well, yeah. <laughs> Just the money on the guy that you killed. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. right. I expect that you're working as a fruit picker because you need to. Yeah. But it was just, it was so infuriating. And it's, it is. the more conflict people there are, the worse the world is. Because they draw everything else into a conflict rather than into something you can talk about. Well, well I think that, uh, oh, go ahead, Stephen. Oh, sorry, yeah. The, the other side of that, though, is that, like, there really is a conflict here. Mm-hmm. And reasoning with the guy wouldn't have worked. It's right. like, we need to just, you know what, if all of us workers, there's more workers here than there are enforcers, let's just all grab, you know, whatever Fruit. something heavy <laughs> and <laughs> let's 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 solve this problem right yeah and so that that seems like a very reasonable solution and the other one being you know stepped on yeah and if only like if all those fruit pickers just like killed their boss and were like we're the fruit pickers now then like they'd <laughs> they'd get in trouble with the law and that yeah. that's the but that's they the... wouldn't have to kill the boss if they all rose up and were like no he got to the end of the i like they protested him, and... yeah if you want to beat him up we'll fight back but i mean there is not that level of coordination. And it's it's hard to coordinate people to say, will you stand up to, you know, get smacked down so I can rest because I work faster than you. Right. And it's funny, you know, Jesse mentioned <laughs> with the previous jobs where it's like they're not they're they get frustrated. You, you use the phrase uh, they're paying you to work. Right. Or something like that. Like not, not or they're paying you to, to work when they see to you not working. Busy. Yeah. So it's like the thing is, yes, you're paying me to do these jobs. I did them. Like, yeah. let me let me keep doing that. It's like, no, no, watching you just stand around getting paid those eight bucks an hour really pisses me off unless you're doing stuff to earn it. It's like, but I did this stuff to earn it. I just did it faster. <laughs> yeah, if you've never had a job where your boss said to you, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean, <laughs> then then you, then maybe you don't quite get where it's like to be on the bottom rung. Yeah. But it's and like, no, no, I worked my ass off for two hours. It's like, yeah, but you're leaning on that counter. And, like, not even, like, taking a break. You're, like, just, you know physically resting for a second it's like, no, if you've got time to lean you've got time to like grab a fucking mop and yeah these are these up. are just bosses that don't fucking understand incentives because yeah. you want your employees to be efficient right. you want them to be finished fast and to do the job right and then you want to reward them for that by letting them read a goddamn magazine the right. bosses that do the opposite of that just generate lots of hostility and you then i'm just gonna i'm intentionally just gonna do a shitty job mm-hmm. but if we're at mcdonald's or a fruit picking farm you've got an endless supply of labor of people that right. will continue to yep. do exactly the fruit as you pickers say, so. even if all of them did unite like that they just wouldn't get invited back to work the next day because there's three times as many waiting every day than can be employed yeah you'd have to literally like unionize every single guy in that town or that city or that state because more people would be happy to take their place if you didn't already have a agreement like you know we all stand up for each other when this happens yeah and that's hard. Coordination problems are, you know, famously hard. And it's it's one of those things, like, I'm always put in mind of, like, handling a... I don't know why I'm always put in mind of this, but handling, like, a, a, a terrorist violence situation. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody with a handgun or a, or a box cutter wanted to take control of a plane. Yeah. And it's like, there's, like, 150 of us on here, guys. Let's just swarm him. Like, right. sure, some of us will get stabbed, but we're going to win. Right. But you can't convince your, your, your seat partners, you know, on the plane next to you, like, do you want to risk getting stabbed to take this guy down? And so, I mean, even well, you couldn't in the past when the hijackers would have the plane land and then like make demands for money or something. Now that everyone knows if the plane is hijacked, we all die anyway. They do. They might. They they probably would. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's happened at least once. Yeah. I, well, and that happened in Flight ninety three. Yep. So things like that are better coordinated in the air, maybe, but maybe not. That's kind of mutually assured destruction. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, it's harder when you know you have the bystander effect. Somebody gets hit by a car, and then everybody kind of looks around like, oh, man, who's going to do the thing? Who's going to call 911? What do we do? What do we do? 
or who's going to rush towards the burning vehicle to pull them out because we need six people to get this guy out but yeah. we, one, one of us can't do it so who wants to get burned right mm-hmm. um you can't pick people out in the crowd be like who wants burn wounds right so <laughs> well actually apparently that's what you're supposed to do you go you you and you come here <laughs> yeah but it, it, it's i think in that situation where there's more people to choose from and like they're not they're not going to die if they stay on the sidelines but yeah that is how you solve the bystander effect you call people out and be like he's going to die if you don't come up here and help me mm-hmm. then people are like well now it's on me mm-hmm. and getting that ownership on them i think is the is the agreed upon solution mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah number three number three all right mistake theorists think you can save the world by increasing intelligence most techno excuse me you make technocrats smart enough to determine the best policy which this is how you know that the mistake theorists are the the rationalists <laughs> increased intelligence is like our you know one of our buttons it's one of our what, dopamine buttons right yeah yeah um Conflict theorists think you can save the world by increasing passion. The rich and powerful win because they already work together efficiently. The poor and powerless will only win once they unite and stand up for themselves. Now, those are both compelling. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Um, I, I, I can see how they're on the opposite sides of how to handle a problem, but yeah. you can kind of do both. Yeah. But he goes on to elaborate on that a bit where it's like, no, wrong people can be just as passionate as right people. Right. And so passion isn't, isn't the solution here. But it is if you think like, look, this isn't about like making the smarter, making the smart people smarter. This is about like this is about getting enough fruit pickers pissed off to all say we won't let you bully us. Right. Yeah. yeah. Ideal world would be people are passionate about figuring out what the truth is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I keep coming back to the example that he used of the uh, the doctor and the patient. You know, uh, it's weird that we treat politics different than like. Because in a way, like you're saying, we're, we're trying to, our patient is the, the state and we're trying to save them. And it's like, if, if I am thinking about this as a cancer patient that we need to save, I would hope that all the doctors would like stop fighting over, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm right because I have this many degrees. Oh, well, I'm right because my grandmother told me that this is the way that you cure cancer or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, it's like, no, I would actually hope that they would talk about it, maybe fight about it, but in a productive way. Mm-hmm. But like, why do, why do we see politics so differently? Well, that's that's kind of the the rub of the first point, right? That like, if you're viewing it as as a problem that we can figure out by just thinking understanding it. it better <laughs> and thinking about it, maybe even testing it and doing t- you know, uh, investigating results and stuff, then you're thinking about it the wrong way. Like the 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 people who hold all the power right now aren't. Uh, they're not going to listen to your study, right? Yeah. As they don't. Well, we don't um, all have the same. We don't have aligned goals. I've heard stories of. Uh, God, I don't even remember countries they were. There were like uh, developing countries where uh, people do actually think of much more things in that conflict mistake theory, and where doctors, if an underling saw that a doctor was, or someone lower on the rung saw that a doctor was doing something wrong, they wouldn't say anything out of fear of like, you're challenging the doctor, you can't do that, and people would die. Oh, yeah. For simple things. Unfortunately, that, that happens saw. in the civilized world, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, in Japan, they have to have their um, token the American. Civilized world. That yeah. was fucked up. Oh, well, I mean. It's a term. <laughs> the first world or whatever. Right. The developed. Developed world. Yeah. It sounds pejorative, but it has a meaning that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and it, can, it can be used pejoratively, but yeah. I, it is, it's, I think it's a useful distinction, a useful term to have. Um, eh, no, nah, I actually think I misspoke. <laughs> I, I think it just suffers from um, term inflation like anything else. Like, uh, it, it used to just mean what we mean by developed and developing, right? civilized and uncivilized and then people kept using uncivilized to you know mean these lower people until it became an insult so now you can't do it bet you 20 years from now we won't be able to say developing countries anymore because that'll be an insult and we'll have to use some other term yeah i 
that seems like it'll slow. Like then, who do you send your who do you send your your charity money to? Right? I mean, they'll have a new term. Yeah. Like now we have what is it? Developmentally disabled or something? Yeah. Yeah. People will take you, whatever the uh, politically correct term we've decided upon and make that into the new pejorative. Right. Like the retarded, word retarded used to actually mean yeah, yeah <laughs> something rather than just being an insult that you can't say. It used to be an actual diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. I think it's. I, I guess I'm just thinking like if 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 the developing world in whatever lingo we have in 20 years sounds just as good as the developed world, then it's like, oh, this sounds like they're doing okay. They don't need our charity money. <laughs> they're the they're the early flourishing world, right, 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 or something like that. Well, then we can be the post-flourished world. <laughs> so the slow obviously, the world. early flourishing world needs more more contribution money, more, more flourish. Yeah. All right. Got one more example. Uh, oh, I guess it's me now, right? It's you. Number four. For a mistake theorist, passion is inadequate or even suspect. Oh, I think you were just talking about this one. Mm. Wrong people can be just as loud as right people, sometimes louder. All that passion does is use pressure or even threats to introduce bias into the important work of debate and analysis. For conflict theorist, intelligence is inadequate or even suspect. It doesn't take a super genius to know that poor farm laborers working 12-hour days in the scorching heat deserve more than $9 an hour minimum wage when the CEO makes $9 million. I didn't like those numbers. I think, you know, you're making six bucks a day as a as a strawberry picker, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it depends where, and you know, if you get a nice, whatever. I guess, I'm trying to think of a nice word for slave owner, or but it's not exactly the same. <laughs> it's sort of the same. It's like, all right, who wants ten bucks? Cool, go work for me for ten hours in the heat. Um, it's you know, nine bucks an hour sounds great at that point, right? Mm-hmm. To some people, they say that's enough to live off of. So, I mean, for some people, it is enough to live off of. Sure, just not very well. Not a great life, no. but. And nine million is different than like ninety million. You know, that's like a nine million dollar Christmas bonus, right? Right. So, <laughs> the numbers I think could be more disparate to better illustrate that point. And that seems like he's kind of uh, strawmanning the conflict theorist there. Okay. A, a smidge. That's a, that's a minor quibble I'd have. Well, I mean, but this the conflict theorist would also make that point about nine an hour and nine million as well. And as I far see. as straw manning, he did say in like the next post, which was the aggregation of the best comments, that he was intentionally trying to straw man both sides in order to kind of point them out at their their most extreme edges. Good point. And that's a technique that I like a lot. You make things as absurd as possible while still being... Reductio ad absurdum. Yeah. But the productive version of that, where it's like, this is the bottom of the slippery slope that you're talking about. Are you still on board? Okay, cool. And that's the edge of, that's the boundary condition of what we're talking about, right? So I like that technique too. I'm not sure if it was in this part of the essay, but uh, when he was talking about wrong people being, can be as loud as right people or sometimes louder. I remember there was an example that I just thought was hilarious where he was talking about the doctor-patient analogy again and said, if uh, the patient hired his crazy aunt to stand outside the room and yell it's lupus <laughs> repeatedly <laughs> like i don't think that that's actually contributing anything mm-hmm. and i just love that mental image because i can imagine someone doing something like that like <laughs> right. people are nuts and then getting their facebook group friends to come you know pick at the hospital and scream it's lupus and like they're super <laughs> passionate but they're but they're super wrong right mm-hmm. um that that does sound uh counterproductive and dangerous if you're trying to make the well-being of the of the place of course then he goes back with another example with like the fake drug or something and then it's like this picketer would have been right to like say no, don't use that medication. Was that in the com? Is that the best of comments, or is that later on in the post? I think that was. I think in that the must post. have been in the comments. Oh, was it? Huh. Or at least it's not in the snippets that we pulled out. But the example yeah. was something like, you know. It was like a Pfizer drugs, or there's a company owned by Pfizer, and they only like prescribe Pfizer drugs, and then you find that out, and you're like. 
Yeah, the, the, the hospital uh, is owned understandably by Understandably annoyed by this. Yeah. yeah. And so then when you're outside picketing, that makes perfect sense. It's like they're trying to give you these drugs, not because they're the best for you, but because the CEO owns the hospital right. and they make money every time they prescribe these drugs and the f- doctors get fired if they don't prescribe them. This isn't medicine. This is a racket. Yeah. It's a good thing that never happens. <laughs> I think we can skip five because we already covered it. Um, yeah, that was the free speech and open debate part. Yeah. I don't know. Did we not have anything else to say about that? Oh, about the first one? About uh, number five. Um, the free speech and open debate. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we covered that one. So, uh, six. When mistake theorists criticize democracy, it's because it gives too much power to the average person, who isn't very smart. When conflict theorists criticize democracy, it's because it doesn't give enough power to the average person. Special interests can buy elections or convince representatives to betray campaign promises. I'm pausing here because I totally kind of agree with both sides. Yeah. And so this this was a good example. Like, I've I've probably said the exact same words before. It's like, you know, why does... And it it's, sounds uncharitable, but why does the uneducated idiot get the same amount of, of vote as, you know, a political scientist? Yeah. Right? The reason this is hard for me is because I think that I wish there was some system where people could have power over what they decide to do with their own lives and it not affect everyone around them. But this is the kind of thing where, like, you're letting parents not vaccinate their kids and they feel really passionately that vaccines cause autism or that, like, diseases are healthy and help you develop a strong immune system and you're just wrong. Yeah. But, like, if, if that person were making that decision about their own health, then I think they have the right to do that. They're still wrong. But it's their life. And I kind of think that everyone should have the ability to vote because if they don't, then you can say, well, those people who don't get the vote, we're voting for a law to make them slaves or something, right? Yeah. No, like, totally. Yeah. It, I don't know. I think it'd be much better if it was just very hard to pass laws that affect other people. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the other, the other side of the conflict isn't just like, uh, I mean. But that's like a stupid thing to say. Letting... <laughs> well, no, no. It, I mean, it's it. it like th- that, every th- law does affect other people. That's the point of laws. Right? That's yeah. why this is. That's why this is a hard thing to solve, right? That's why and, politics is different. And so <laughs> we solved it. Like just knocking, <laughs> just knocking this down. Like knocking the system down doesn't make things better. Yeah. It might keep the police from hassling you for using drugs or something because there there's no police force anymore. But like it doesn't, you know, the the infrastructure of the state is gone and everyone depends on it. And so, like. To put it uncharitably, you know, we let dumb people vote because it's the best system that we have to give everyone the same voice. And the, if, if the, the, I can't think of, and it's not just me, I'm sure people have tried and I haven't tried very hard, but like there's, it's hard to think of a better system that isn't easily manipulatable that no, no, these people's votes count for 500,000 and yours counts for one, mm-hmm. right? Um, other than, you know, buying a lot of ads and convincing people on TV or something. Um, or Twitter bots or whatever you can afford to do to pump your message out there. But giving everyone the same amount of voting power keeps that in, is ideally to keep that in check rather than just say, no, you know what? We've determined somehow we, not you because you didn't get to vote. We've determined we're smart enough to vote and that's why we get to vote and not you. Right. (laughs) It, you know, it's like, no, no, because we're, uh, I, I'm trying to think of just some stupid metrics. Like, no, no, if I earn this much money, then I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to vote. Right. Right. Or if, if I own land or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, so all those solutions of only letting some people vote all sound terrible. Yeah. They always get abused. 
Maybe, also, the, maybe the key here is that voting is a bad idea. Ah, yeah. we got to install a benevolent overlord. Right. I vote for me. Or, or, <laughs> or you know, just a random number generator. Okay. Yeah. Or anarchy. Yeah. Mm. Everyone also, grab your bats. <laughs> we'll solve our problems on the street. Whoever bats the best. <laughs> I, I'm also slightly less um, convinced about the whole money can buy elections thing anymore. As as far as I can tell, money doesn't really do much of anything except show who's willing to spend the most. It feels more like a tax on people with a lot of money. They they use their money to fund our entertainment by buying a lot of <laughs> by buying a lot of ads that do nothing every four years. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. Well, what about the last election? I mean, the last election was influenced a lot, I guess, by Russian Russian bots and things increasing social strife, which cost them almost nothing. And was really, I, I want to do an episode on this, like in the next two or three episodes, this uh, this book I'm reading called White Shift, but was much more a referendum on culture and uh, people who feel that the culture is changing in ways they do not like. And it was more of a backlash. Mm. I mean, yeah, that's, I think, part of it. But I mean, like you said, the rest, like, of, the rest did of anyone it, buy the last election? I, I think the I mean the bots weren't doing it for free, right? Well, I mean, sure, the people in Russia were being paid by the government, but it didn't cost them a lot. No, but it's it was like, peanuts compared to what our super PACs put on the TV. <laughs> that's that's true. I think you know commercial time probably cost more than the average the average uh, bot salary. Yeah, but it's 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 one of those things. Like if if it wasn't necessarily money, it was power that bought it. Then right? Sure, but so that's it, a different thing. Well. It's you can still leverage it in the in the sense like I, I'm not a political theorist, if that's not super clear at this point, but you get a large amount of political power by, by having large amounts of money. Yeah, the two and tend to be correlated. I, the thing that really the one good thing about the last election, in my opinion, was that it showed that our democracy is still um, not completely controlled by entrenched elite powers. Because the elite powers would have never let that happen. And they tried not to let it happen. And the fact that a populist uprising was able to install their own leader as the president, I'm like, okay, that that shows me that at least our government isn't completely in the puppet strings of elite masters when you can fucking throw a Molotov cocktail into it and have this effect for four years. I which is shitty. I'm, I'm not happy that a Molotov <laughs> cocktail landed in my country. But uh, yeah, chaos president. Yeah, exactly. But the fact that the elites were unable to keep him out, I think, means that we still are uh, at least somewhat on the democratic side of democracy. I don't know. I think it kind of proves the opposite. Why like, so? Nobody wanted this person to be president, and he's president. Well, nobody like, in nobody, power wanted him to be well, the president. Nobody, nobody power here. It means that like that that power bought the election, not not the people, right? No, I no, think the it's opposite. the opposite. The powerful didn't want him, and yet he got in anyway because the, he the got people, enough the people of the populace. real power. Yeah. I'm talking the, the the Kremlin, the people that employed the 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 misinformation farm that that convinced people to vote for him. I don't think the Kremlin has that much power. The Kremlin was here to like enrage people and stoke passions, but they the... stirred shit up. But the shit was already stirred beforehand. Yeah, hmm. I mean, it was ultimately the people voting with ballots that decided who who was the president. Sort this, of, this, this despite always, the fact that he lost the popular vote. That's always yeah. my complaint about it, and it's like, yeah, except they didn't. I, 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 I mean, so you still have the, the, again, the rich and powerful conflict theorist version of it. It's like, no, yeah, it doesn't matter. Our votes don't even fucking matter. We can be, we can win by hundreds of thousands, and our, and our candidate still loses because they've gerrymandered the fuck out of, out of every area that they can, right? Yeah. And but even with all their gerrymandering to control shit, they still lost control of it 
a few years ago. I mean, the people kind of used that thing against them, right? Well, which people? The people that voted for Trump. I I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was a whole thing. So, number seven. Number seven. (laughs) I think it's you, Steven. Or. Oh, no. Maybe it is me. Yeah, that's right. All right. Mistake theorists think revolution is stupid. After the proletariat (laughs) have seized power, they're still faced with the same set of policy problems we have today with no additional options. Conflict theorists uh, think technocracy. Excuse me. Conflict theorists think think a technocracy. Technocracy? Technocracy. Technocracy. That doesn't sound like a word. Conflict theorists think a technocracy is stupid. Whatever the right policy package is, the powerful will never let anyone implement it. The only re- the only way around this is to organize the powerless to defeat the powerful by force. And that's sort of, you know, like I'm saying, you can get together and vote all you want, but it's like, no, we're just not going to do what you, you say. Or, you know, well, yeah, technically they won, but uh, because of w- the way that we, not you, have drawn the lines, they, they lost. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's literally why the Democratic Party has superdelegates. Because in 68, I think it was, uh, populists got swept into power uh, because they just had, you know, the the open open voting or whatever it was and uh, lost terribly and was not at all who the elites wanted in there. And so they're like, all right, from now on, like 40 percent of our votes are going to be these superdelegates who are delegated beforehand by the powerful, you know, forces in our party and that's why that's there to overrule the the rule of the the will of the people and the republican party didn't have superdelegates which is why they got hijacked so i think i think they're definitely trying to uh to never let anyone implement something that isn't right for them they just didn't manage to do it i can yeah but i do think revolution is stupid i used to think revolution was awesome I think there's a point where you can argue that things are so bad that a revolution is probably what we need. Yes. I think it rarely is that bad, um, but definitely like most of the revolutions in history kind of make sense considering the context that they started in. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I was all pro-revolution when I was a teenager, looking back on it now, uh, this is obviously not what I would have said when I was a teenager, is because as a teenager, I don't have jack shit. <laughs> I, I'm in a society where I get no respect. No one likes me. There's, I have, no, I have literally nothing to lose except my own life. And you know, I'm a teenager, so I don't care that much about that. You know, yeah. you're immortal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, either I you're didn't think I was immortal. I just didn't care that much. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like either I win and I get the society I want, or I die, which is probably not any worse than being in this shit ass slavery society we live in anyway. And uh, now that I'm older and uh, I actually have a few things to lose, I'm like. You remember what happened last time there was a revolution, right? All the all the mass starvation and death and everything. I mean, not in this country. We got pretty lucky with our revolution. But uh, no, it was pretty bad actually. Oh, was it? Well, um, I think the Civil War was actually much worse. But oh yeah, the war, Civil War was not great. No. <laughs> I think the big thing the revolution had going for it is that they already had a powerful group of elites that ruled the country more or less by fiat and just needed to kick out the occupiers. And don't get me wrong, my, my defenses on all of these are the conflict theorists isn't because I, I am really in that camp. What I am, I think, is I, I can very much sympathize with, mm-hmm. like, the, like, no, look, the time for talk is done. Right. Like, you know, and there are people like that on both sides of the political spectrum, right? Well, and teenage me would look at now me and be like, you're just saying that because you're an old white guy who got his and you want to hold on to it. You don't care about all the poor oppressed people who are being ground into the dirt 
So fuck you. You deserve to have your shit burned and maybe lose a limb or your life because you're helping empower the system that does all this. And then you could be like, listen to here, you little shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? You don't realize how bad this would be for everybody if we just, you know, burnt down all the expensive buildings and killed all the rich people. And younger me would say, like, you know what? It'd be better than what we have now. We can start over again from the ashes. And, I mean, if a teenage me survived the revolution, I'm still young. I'm healthy. I have a lot of labor. I could probably survive, you know? Just everyone else in society who was not as young and physically gifted, as physically privileged as I am at that time, would have a much worse time. Or just like lucky enough not to die in one of the fires. Yeah, you know. I think I was much more into this also because I was very isolated. Like if I had elderly relatives that I cared about, I probably wouldn't have been as pro-revolution because I would have seen that could harm them. Hmm. But since it was just me and my fellow peer group, plus my parents, which I really didn't like that much, I <laughs> there weren't. <laughs> frail people that depended on society continuing i didn't have young nieces i didn't have old relatives i was like fuck it yeah i can but yeah there i as a as a stop to my younger self yes there are definitely times like when slavery was a thing in the american south where there's literally the best thing to do is burn down the society because it's just that bad yeah i that's that's essentially my position. Like, or if you're th living things, in Nazi Germany. Things can, can theoretically be bad enough where it's like, no, you know what? Let's deal with five years of, of chaos, fires, and famine. And, you know, if that's the if that's the cost that it takes to knock this over. Yeah. And then whatever we build can't be this bad. Because right. we, we won't do the same things. You know, we won't have concentration camps and slavery. And, like, that's already going to put us ahead of where we were. Yeah. So I can see where it could be that bad. I don't... Uh, I'm not necessarily seeing it being in conflict with... Uh, <laughs> mistake theory... I mean, you can still weigh the pros and cons of revolution versus not, and then make an informed decision. That's mistake theory, though. Uh, Conflict theory would not would not uh, be weighing those pros and cons. They would say even the idea that you're trying to weigh the pros and cons is a tool of the oppressors. Yeah, and that's what I can't get behind. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I would be behind a revolution. I guess this still makes me a mistake theorist then, yeah. because I would want to. Okay, but let's like actually crunch some numbers before we flip the government on its head. Right. Yeah, that's, Scott that's had a great example of that at the very end of the article. And that, that's where I'd come down to. And that's, I wonder if, maybe that's the way to think about it. A conflict theorist is somebody who's already done that calculus to their own satisfaction, and that's where they've arrived, right? Maybe. I don't know. I know people that are completely guided by their gut. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, like, inst instinct-driven people and kind of, like, slow, deliberate people. Um, I'm not even sure if that's entirely what this is describing. Yeah, I, there's some people I know as conflict theorists who are you know, very smart people, and I wouldn't say they're instinct-driven, but they already know that the other side is immoral and is just in this for themselves, and so they don't need to look at the enemy propaganda trying to confuse them into not fighting for their side anymore. They know what's right and what's wrong. I even know people, too, who are, like, in privileged positions where, like, they could go in and get a loan, they make money, and they're like, no, this is all terrible, we need to burn it down. Hmm. Sent for my iPhone 8, you know? <laughs> like, it... Those are the kinds of, uh, that's the, that's like the, those are the walking straw people, right? Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm trying to figure out, and that's the end of the point, I guess, maybe that's the end of the, the article where, like, is there a way to, yeah, in fact, I'll bring that up later. So, like, is, is there a way to steel man uh, the conflict theory perspective? Sure. And I'm not actually sure either, but it's worth thinking about so i think there is because i think i'm a conflict theorist to the extent that i think that people can be bad actors i'm not saying that i think they're always bad actors like 
it sounds almost like mistake theorists think that people are genuinely just mistaken about what is true and that nobody is like out to screw anybody else over and that doesn't seem to be the world we live in i mean there's definitely bad people out there. there's bad people there's that yeah there's that boss at the at the for the fruit picking thing there was the uh heard another article recently about a guy who infiltrated one of those um scam calls where they call up elderly people and scam them out of all their money slowly by like no your computer is being frozen you have to send it yeah yeah there was there was this the story about this one lady they had on the phone who had spent her life savings like forty thousand dollars i think and she was crying and on the phone and like why did you do this to me what what and they put her on speakerphone and everyone in the office gathered around just to laugh at her like look at this sucker that we managed to get all her money and it was fucking disgusting yeah Yeah. there's some gross people and you know it's not even just individual level things like if donald trump isn't your example of a of a bat of a of a quintessential bad actor you can imagine oh, he is in, no, i guess i'm talking to the audience oh, but oh okay it, so if he's not you can imagine a worse one okay. and it's like no no i'm only here to serve myself i really don't care what your facts are your facts are not true facts aren't real i'm in this for me and me alone i think a if, lot of donald trump can be explained by he's a conflict theorist person he's like i'm in this for me and my interests and i know everyone else is just in it for their interests so screw them before they can screw me I think that's giving it too much credit you only think? because like, I don't think that he's worried about, you know, I'm, I need to get ahead of the, the, of the other bad actors and the other people are out, you know, the bad people are going to try and get me. It's more just like, no, nope, fuck you. I, I got mine. I want more. I think if you're in that mindset, because I was married to someone in that mindset, everyone is always hostile. And no matter how much you have, you are always on guard and you always have to be aggressive. That's what makes them so toxic. That's why you don't want one as the president. Okay. Because there's, they never feel safe. All right, I, I can... There's only one Donald Trump. There's 7 billion people out there in the world working to try to screw him. Gotta on the screw plus them side, first. On the plus side, that's a miserable existence. And yes. So there's... You shouldn't, you shouldn't, <laughs> Is that a plus side? You, should, you shouldn't... I, sh- what, I shouldn't feel happy that I'm, you know, re- by, by all reports, he's miserable being president. He's never been under scrutiny before. The fact that, like, he can't just... I mean, this is like his first time, his first tenure in public service is president of the United States. And he can't just walk in and be like, no, no, fire that guy. It's like, you can't just do that. Like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. I've always been able to do whatever I wanted. I've been able to, you know, slap servants and rape my maids and nobody's given one fuck. And it's like, yeah, but now, now there's rules. And now there's cameras on you. It's like, well, this sucks. And Raul reports he's unhappy about that. So while I shouldn't feel happy that he's unhappy with his current lot in life, I sometimes can't help myself. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. And so like you said, I think that maybe that is the resolution, Jess, that you can, that's why you can wear kind of both hats at once. Like if, if you're, if you're a mistake theorist to the point where it's like, no, no, they're just, you know, they're just misunderstanding. They just need the right facts. They need the right education. They need the right training. It's like, no, they, there are seriously bad people. Yeah. And you'll mm-hmm. spend forever trying to debate somebody who's not interested in debating you in good or, faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they'll just kill you. Or, and yeah. yeah. And, take <laughs> and so it's like, if, if that's where you're at, then that's the if that's what if that's what it takes to wear the mistake theorist hat then then that's not the right way to do it either right so yeah. there is a somewhat balance there this this works well like i said th- i was going to say this works in the context of if you think that uh things are still in a position where we can talk about them like things aren't that bad yet yeah. then you can be a mistake theorist right up until like you decide that nope they're that bad right. or if you uh, can figure out if your values align with your uh opponents i don't even know if i want to use that word um, the other doctors in the room, yeah. like 
okay, like, you know, uh, I get a feeling that we're all actually trying to save this patient here. And then now I'm, let's actually, like, listen to each other's point of view. But if it is a hostile situation where it seems like this one doctor just wants to push this one drug that Pfizer is paying him to push, I guess it's uh, good to be suspicious. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that sounds paranoid. No, it, it it sounds exactly right. It sounds exactly paranoid enough to the point where it's like, yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. But, yeah. Did we Remember have another it? thing to keep us going to get us There's off this bummer now? We have one last one. One more. All right. Mistake theorists naturally think conflict theorists are making a mistake. On the object level, <laughs> they're... <laughs> right? On the object level, they're not smart enough to realize that new trade deals are for the good of all or that smashing the state would actually lead to mass famine and disaster. Conflict theorists naturally think mistake theorists are the enemy in their conflict. They've become part of a class that's more interested in protecting its own privileges than in helping the poor or the work or working for the good of all. Conflict theorists aren't mistake theorists who just have a different theory about what the mistake theory is. They're not going to respond to your criticism by politely explaining why you're incorrect. Which, yeah, I think that's kind of where we just were. Yeah, right. Yeah. Damn I, it, I want to dig, dig us out of that sad hole, and now we're just still in it. Uh, but... D- well, you got a main talking point here at the bottom. Yeah, I think we kind of talked about it, though. I was There's a line in there uh, towards the end of the article where, where Scott says, I'm pretty sure it would be wrong to steel man the conflict theory into a nice cooperative explanation of how we all need to join together, realize the conflict theory is objectively the, the correct way to think, and then use this insight to help us cure our mutual patient state. I think we've kind of hashed out that maybe there isn't a way to do that. Or, you know, if it is, it's just at the point where they're... I mean, I could imagine a point, like... I mean, if I lived in Nazi Germany, I'd like, you know, and I was who I am and I wasn't raised by the propaganda state. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that, like, no, I'm not going to engage with them and talk with them. Like, no, it's time to grab my rifle and, and you know, let's free these people. Let's let's knock this shit over. Yeah. Um, the, the time of conversation is past. And so at that point, it's like it's done. And so some, some people are already in that position or if they feel like they are, I get it. They're not they're not going to hear it. They're, at that point, you know, the, you know, if, if my, my uh, I don't know what you call them, my, my squad of people have already taken this town and they're like and the nazis like no let's meet let's see if we can come up to an amicable, amicable agreement and it, they're you know and it is an apparent meeting of good faith they're not going to just bomb us or something mm-hmm. and it's like you know no i'm not gonna sit down and talk with you i've already i'm done having conversations we're going to keep pushing the line right so i i get that mindset what i don't what i'm not convinced of whatsoever is that we're there at all mm-hmm. um things are you know yes things suck for a lot of people but they're pretty fucking good and I say that knowing who I am and where I'm from, yeah. but I mean, just from a historical perspective, the present's the best time to have been alive. Yeah. Certainly if you like, you know, eating food and not dying of illness. Right. Yeah. Um, which we all appreciate. Gun I think perception, there's not, like germ theory of disease. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. If you value those things, then absolutely. <laughs> if you value like meaning in life, I think there may have been other periods in life that were in the history that were much better for that but you generally died a lot along the way i like i think you define meaning however you want i I define meaning as like advancing human knowledge and i think that this is a better time for that but if you you define meaning as like your 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 ability to individually contribute to the well-being of society that's not how i define meaning oh and that's what i'm saying so yeah meaning should be tabooed here and we can just use the the long versions but if you if what gets if if what gets you out of bed in the morning is like i'm gonna i'm gonna do something today then yeah, that was easier to do before probably, especially yeah. in a smaller society where it's like you're the guy who makes chairs. Not really, right. I don't even think so. Like I, I, I'm curing cancer now, and like, if I were born in any other time period, I'd just probably be popping babies out. 
That's fair. Yeah, that's a good point. It would depend on who you were back then, too. Um, certainly, if if you were born in the wrong part of the world now and like you weren't allowed to learn to read, yeah. then certainly your ability to contribute to in any meaningful way would be, in, in a way that you would find meaningful, would be hugely stunted, right? What, how would you be able to cure cancer if, no, if, if it was a crime for you to become literate? Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Or what if I wasn't born because I forget what percentage of babies just died. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think half of people didn't make it to age five. Yeah, that makes the parents a pretty good picture that things are pretty good now. Yeah. But uh, you know, a revolution didn't, so- a violent revolution didn't solve the the, infant- the uh, infant mortality rate problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was uh, uh, what's that big mistake theorists like framework called? Science? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think a large part of the problem is that conflict theory really is useful when there is an actual conflict. And sometimes there are. And it's just, depending how much how much conflict theory you need to use depends on what society you're in and oftentimes how much conflict theory you actually use is based on what you learned as you were growing up about the society you're in which is not necessarily the same as where you are now as, as an adult because most people have moved and uh, a lot of people's society was determined a lot by their parents which once you get away from your parents isn't really that much a thing anymore Whereas yeah. back in the ancestral environment, your society was your society for your entire life. So uh, I think a lot of people are still in conflict theory mode once they get into wider American society where they don't need it. Um, although there's still places in American society where you do still need it, even as an adult. Yeah. One thing I liked about this post, too, on like a meta, meta note is that this wasn't strictly reds versus blues. Right. I mean, I know, I know blue conflict theorists. Absolutely. And so, and I know, I know red mistake theorists. Mm-hmm. And so it, this isn't just and like... I identify more with red mistake theorists than I do with blue conflict theorists. Yes, yeah, yeah, I would have to because I, I, I don't feel like the solution right now is let's just burn it down and see what happens afterwards. I think that's what drove me away from the blue tribe was the prevalence of conflict theorists that I saw in my local blue groups. Yep, me too. Mm. Yeah. We need something more chipper. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody in the comments uh, had said that, and, and Scott did address this, but... uh. I think that this is kind of, you're trying to describe screw theorists versus nail theorists when it comes to building a house without realizing that generally you're going to be using both for different things. Mm-hmm. And then Scott kind of replied, yeah, I know, but I mean, I'm trying to <laughs> point at a thing that I think exists and make a ridiculous version of it to try to distill it down to its elements. And But I think that, yeah, like in the real world, generally people do, that they're kind of two different tools that you can use. It's mm-hmm. just that maybe some people tend to lean much more towards one end than the other. Yeah, yeah. I I read large or most of the um the highlights from the comment section, which we'll just link to in this one. There's not uh, I think much time to go into it. Yeah. But it is it is a nice if this is what all you know engaging for you. The, the highlights in the comment section is a nice conversation to have. Uh, I guess to read the conversation of and and see some actual back and forth on that. So yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean to spice thing or to lighten things up we could go on to user comments user feedback unless you had any final thoughts or anything uh i kind of just wanted to liken this i think to the what was it bayesians versus barbarians Mm. where i feel like ideally uh you do try to rationally debate until you reach a point where it's like okay it's time to go to war and then you switch to the conflict theory yeah but like you, you've made the choice you're you're a barbarian now because that's the best strategy right (laughs) and then hopefully after the fact you could switch back 
I wonder if that's the goal of a conflict theorist. It's like, once this is done, the war is over. Then we can have the conversation again. I don't think we have that level of technology. I think it's a much deeper-seated kind of personal thing, which takes either many years to change and work out. Like, I, I don't... I don't think that there would be like a revolution and then afterwards they wouldn't be conflict theorists anymore, which is also generally what we see. There's, you know, the French Revolution and now the conflict theorists are in power, but now there's, you know, different people that are the enemy of the people. So you start guillotining people and, and it spirals because it takes a long time to get out of conflict theory mindset. And if the conflict theory people take power, they're going to not have that time before they start seeing more enemies yeah. you can't solve everything by defeating enemies eventually you have to like create scientific inventions and <laughs> cure diseases and like do other things than have fights you can't solve a lot of things with fights i mean the same thing happened in russia right when stalin rose to power i don't know i don't know as much about the russian revolutions yeah i'm not revolution. a political scientist over here but yeah. i mean th i i'm that's probably the way it went like with everything right you you you, you don't come to power and be like all right cool now now that I've got this power, you guys all need it too because that's the way that things will go forward. It's like, no, no, now that I've got it, we're safe. We're now, the, now I can keep us safe. And... The American Revolution was really remarkable. Yeah, it seems pretty rarely that yeah, there's a, that was a there's some kind of uprising and they've got this like very charismatic leader or a group of charismatic leaders that end up taking power who actually have these ideals that they really believe in and try to push. More often it seems like some military junta takes power or some dictator. Yeah, and things end up much worse, and naturally, or, uh, as bad as they were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get, getting an American education in public school—that's the the American Revolution is the one I'm most familiar with, and that is what happened basically. There were there were people who put the idea. It's like, what if we just like kind of put in like new kings and stuff, and uh, <laughs> that was shot down. It's like, no, we got away. We were trying to get away from that shit. Yeah. And granted, it took a while before everyone got to vote, but that was, I think, the goal. You know, and if it wasn't if it wasn't the explicit goal in the minds of the founders, it was the coherent, extrapolated volition of what they wanted. Right. You know. This, this was where they wanted to want to be, even if they didn't know they wanted to be there yet. I think it was specifically not their goal to give everyone the vote. Uh, they they were trying to keep well, push people out to the West. To, everybody uh, doesn't have the vote still, so they still got what they wanted. Wait, do we have disenfranchised classes? I guess we have felons, convicts. And illegal immigrants. Well, right, but they're not citizens. Well, that's that's. are there other classes of people that don't get to vote? I mean, one might argue black people. Children. They get to vote, but... Oh, but it's suppressed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you if you gerrymander the fuck out of a out of a black neighbor or a black town, and then close the only DMV where they need to the right. new registrations to vote. Yeah. Yeah. So, it. But the idea they're they're not legally barred. They are systematically barred by assholes. But the the goal is like no, your vote still counts. At least in the minds. At of, least according of, to the system. At yeah. least in the ideals of the system, which was a cool system to set up. So yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's one thing that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not one of those, you know, flag-loving patriots, but I'm, not, I'm also not on the on the camp of, like, no, America's the worst. And I'm like, I get it. Like, I got a very rosy-eyed education, and I know that America has done a lot of terrible shit. But the, like you said, the, the, the founding of the country was a really cool thing that happened. Mm -hmm. The fact that the Constitution was written in a way that, like, no, no, let's leave in caveats on how to actually amend this thing, because we don't know everything. Yeah. That was a really cool idea. And I don't mm -hmm. think a lot of, like, drafts for, like, this is how we're going to run things have that caveat in it. Um, but that was written into the into the into the the law, so don't get me wrong. The you know I'm not again not worshiping the founders. They made lots of mistakes. They were a lot of them were dumb dumb. They were all dumb people. They didn't know what germs were, but <laughs> you know in the in the sense that you know they somehow pulled this thing off. Yeah, without all the 
without most of the really horrible things that usually come with it. One civil war, but yeah, yeah, but no, it was a cool thing. So, but they managed to delay that civil war for about eighty years. That's something. That's pretty dope. All right, let's uh, let's lighten the mood here. Okay. He's got a good user feedback. Uh, let me scroll down here. This one came from our Discord. Uh, this was after we talked about my crazy neuroses that maybe I'm in a simulation and it might be Jesus or Hitler later on. Uh, Please choose Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, why We Cur asked, isn't this, isn't this simulation argument basically a Russell's teapot? Like, what ev- elevates it from every other single hypothesis about the nature of reality? What makes it more worthy of privilege... Oh, what makes it worthy of privilege more than saying we live in the matrix or solipsism? If we assume there's another real reality superseding this one, then how could we possibly assign any probability to what it might look like? Before we answer that, this was a fun conversation that I actually got to watch happen. Oh, cool. And to watch these conversations happen is the joy of Discord. So if you like these things and want to engage them in real time, or even just read about them, you know, after the fact at your lunch break or something, that's what I usually do. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm having... I didn't not anticipate having fun of the Discord, but I'm having more fun than I thought I would. Yeah. So it's it's cool. I to to the people who both listen to the show and are on the Discord, I read probably at least I, on the some of the threads. I read at least half the stuff, and I enjoy reading a lot of the stuff that I don't say anything about. So yeah, yeah I'm totally same. lurking the Discord. Lurking is the word I was looking for. Perfect. <laughs> Every now and then I try to chime in, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have times where like I'll I'll say I'll go to chime in something. I'm like, no, I don't have time to like commit to this, like to yeah. keep the conversation going because I got to get back to work. So that looked fun. Have fun. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Inyash, why what 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 privileges the the simulation hypothesis over any other? So partly the fact that it is not physically impossible from what we know of physics, but also just that in terms of numbers, solipsism is basically the idea that. I may be the only thing that is actually conscious, that actually exists in the universe, right? And there's only one way for that to actually be the case. If you actually are the only conscious thing in the universe, that's a unique condition. Whereas uh, if there's any possibility of there being simulations in the far future, and if we get to the far future, there will probably be lots of simulations. So in terms of numbers, that is much more likely, uh, in my opinion. Fair enough. But um, as to what you can infer about actual physical reality, if we're in a simulation, yeah, probably nothing. The real reality could be almost anything. It sure doesn't feel purposeful. Oh, this reality you mean? Yeah, I mean, that's my argument against, well, you know, one of many arguments against, like, theism. Like, the if you look at the universe, does it look like it was designed for any purpose? No, it looks pretty random. You could maybe say that somebody's just creating a bunch of random simulations to see what happens, like playing Spore or whatever, but like... I heard a decent argument that the universe seems to be uh, fine-tuned to maximize the amount of black holes. (laughs) Somebody really likes black holes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I just don't know how I could know, and I don't see a lot of evidence for it. Uh, I do think that you do make a slightly more compelling argument for why it's not a Russell's teapot there, but... uh, I don't worry. I don't stay up late worrying about it yeah. myself. Yeah, you guys are as real as I really need you to be. <laughs> like, I'm I'm pretty sure you're as real as I am, and that's good enough for me to, like, try and, you know, A, enjoy your friendship, and B, like, be a good person. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my... So, yeah, it's... it's There's not much more reason 
to think this is real than solipsism. I just reject solipsism much more hard than I do the simulation argument, but that that is just me. Yeah, I mean the solipsism thing is I don't I don't I'd like to hear somebody steel man that, I guess, because from what I can see, there seems to be a lot of other intelligent creatures that experience sentience. Like I I see evidence for this. Unless like I mean, yeah, solipsism, no, any, like, uh, what were you going to say? I think solipsism basically comes down to that you can literally not trust any of your senses for anything, so the only thing you can really know is that you exist. Because any of your senses can be fooled in any number of ways, so uh, good luck thinking that reality is real. Fucking nihilists, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking solipsists. Yeah, I know, nihilists I, are different. I had, I had to inject a Big Lebowski thing to cool. insert I was this. also thinking of Big Lebowski. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> to, to insert this unnecessary tangent in that I'm being, uh, my wedding is being officiated by an ordained minister in, of the Church of the Dude. Yeah. Which it takes 90, or what, 30 seconds to officiate yourself on your phone. And you said and there's like 250,000 of them now? I think 450,000. 450,000. Nice. Um, on their website. I think Wikipedia had a smaller number, but it doesn't matter. My aunt uh, officiated herself in the Church of the Dude to officiate our wedding. So. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Should we go on? Yeah. Sure. I think this one actually somewhat relates to what we were just talking about. Uh, Rom Romkansk, also from the Discord, says uh, when we talked about the Are Your Enemies Mutants? Uh, the thing that was confusing to me ever since I saw this post first is that evil is a very imprecise term that means different things to different people in different situations. The example with 9-11 is pretty clear. I can understand that the terrorists believe themselves to be good guys, but I have many other examples about people I much more I am much more likely to meet in real life. They're muggers, rapists, and just people who enjoy inflicting violence on those weaker than themselves. It's tough imagining some kind of worldview where they can justify that. And even if they can, and probably do, my imagination just isn't good enough, it simply means my values are incompatible with theirs. Doesn't it mean that they are evil from my point of view? I suppose, I yeah. I guess I don't know what, um, like, unless you're trying to salvage the word evil. Yeah. And I guess that's a good shorthand for, like, the people that I necessarily can't cooperate with. That sounds like, that sounds like, sounds like a good shorthand. I think muggers, for me, are the easiest ones to justify there. Like, you know, if you're the, the mugger robbing the... Uh, the Waynes coming out of the opera, the Bruce Bruce Wayne's parents, mm -hmm. like you're mugging them because they're rich people who go to the opera, and you're probably like, you know, have some story in your head where it's like, you know, justifies they're, they're, it. Yeah, justifies it. And it could even be for really good reasons. Yeah. Like that pearl necklace could feed my family for six months. Right. It's like fucking give me that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, or I could even imagine like, I am not a vegetarian. Uh, I wish I was. Uh, people who commit rape or murder just don't see other people as people. They see them as having like, the value of a chicken or a pig that you might eat at the supermarket. Mm. And that's unfortunately really easy for humans to do to completely depersonalize somebody. So, Yeah, that makes those ones are harder for me to paint a happy backstory for them that make them okay people. I'm not trying to make it a happy backstory. I'm no, just no, saying no. that like, I, it makes it not evil if the person doesn't like think that they're killing another person. Like This, this is a thing. Right, they, or, aren't even in, they aren't evil in their own eyes if yeah. they see the other person as not a person. Well, yeah, what I, what, what I was saying was that it, my my backstory for a mugger gives the version where like I can imagine the person mugging me being like a person who's on hard times who just needs this more than I do, apparently. But the person who murders me for fun, uh, I can't paint a backstory for them that makes it uh, that makes them an okay person, right? I they can are... imagine them being very mentally ill and having been horribly abused and traumatized their entire life, so their values are skewed. Yeah, oh, and I think the the commenter's point is that you know 
does it necessarily matter if they would view themselves as evil or not if they're doing things that we personally consider evil? I think in the context of, like, and just to nitpick, like, the mugger example presumably wouldn't be a mugger if they didn't have to, right? The the rapist murderer would probably do those things and do them more if they could get away with more. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense to model those people as evil because there's no way to, to save them, basically, without, you know, non-existent interventions. It kind of uh, sounds like what the commenter was trying to say is just that evil is a word we should taboo. And I kind of agree because I find it a, it's an obnoxious word. It's this dualist idea that, like, there are good people and there are bad people. I think there are good or bad actions and that everything else is very complicated. And we don't have any, like, free will anyway. I think in general, evil is a term I would like to use as little as possible because that is what actually allows people to do evil things, right? It's like, I'm not, I'm not doing an evil thing. I am protecting my society from this evil race of Jews that are trying to destroy it or whatever. The evil allows you to dehumanize other people yeah. and do things that's awful. Well, and so, Terrorists do terror because they're evil and they hate freedom. Right, right. But they actually do it because they view us as evil for whatever reason. Yeah, and I, I would prefer that we lived in a society where everybody kind of understood that we're all complicated and we have backstories and nobody's evil or good. I think that does make for in a better society because then you can't demonize and dehumanize the people that you dislike so i think for pragmatic reasons it's good to not think of other people as evil as much as possible but to this person's point yeah when someone is calling all their friends over to laugh at the grandma whose life savings they stole who's crying on the phone now that feels fucking evil to me and i honestly would have loved to eviscerate all those people myself in that moment yeah, someone... Like, they don't deserve to keep breathing. Someone stole hundreds of dollars and wasn't... Well, it was a substantial money amount of money for her, but luckily she stopped after one thing. It was either like 160 or $360 on the same, you know, computer virus bullshit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we were able to get some of it back from the bank or something, and then the rest was just gone. Wait, who's this? Uh, my grandma. Oh. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago. And, like, I'm not a violent person. Like, I I don't... You know, I, I can enjoy a good violent thing on... on you know, the big screen or something, but I don't get any real satisfaction out of imagining, uh, in a real way, like being in a violent situation myself. And yet, like I thought about all the nasty things I do to this person. Like mm-hmm. you dare take money from my fucking grandma. Mm-hmm. Like if I had you in a room, you would, you know, you wouldn't have fingers. Yeah. Like it would be, <laughs> well, no, you leave them the fingers. You just leave them with pulped bones so that they're useless, but hurt them every day. You get creative. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what was it? Uh, yeah, from Method of Rationality, where, you know, Voldemort's like, it'll be eternities bef- that they'll, or they wish they would be dead for eternities before I'm through with them or something, right? right? It wasn't quite that bad, but it was more just like, I would I would beat the fuck out of you. Like, what the hell are you doing? You're, um, it's, this is a good time to actually plug a podcast that I enjoy called, uh, <laughs> uh Beating the Fuck Out of Strangers. <laughs> that's right. Uh, available for, no, it's, it's called, uh, um, Hacking, or excuse me, that's not the one. It's, uh, yeah, Hacking Humans, uh, by the Cyberwire is a couple of, cybersecurity guys and they get it's like you know tight 25 minutes they have a nice little routine and they usually do like a catch up they like as every episode they do a catch of the day where it's you know they read some spam email that's like got the broken english and it's funny and it's whatever Mm -hmm. um some of them are like real events and then they'll have like sad stuff but then every episode they have like an interview with a different random person in the field whether it's like a physical penetration tester like somebody who will sneak into a big branch with a fake ID and get as far as they can. But they've got like a letter in their back pocket saying, this is from the, I, I work for your company. I'm 
uh, contracted to like walk in here and show you how dumb it was to leave me in a room with the vault with the safe password written on the wall and that sort of stuff or um people who have done uh you know like white hat hacking or uh anyway they, they all they all contain some little thing about like cybersecurity, and so and they're all it's a fun entertaining way to do it so hacking humans podcast is fun i've been listening to that uh it's short enough that i can listen to it from when i leave my house to when i arrive at the light rail station to go to work so it's a nice little plug there yeah yeah excellent awesome um i have two more feedbacks that are related but i don't think we have time to hit both of them in once so we want to save those till next time uh yeah okay let's go on to some sequences yeah um all right you were about to say uh nothing i forgot that we do sequence sections and i didn't read these ones but i will play oh, the no. part of the audience and okay. i don't it's been a weird week for me i'm getting married on friday we're recording on sunday so, right you have a damn uh, good excuse well kind of i mean it was on like i have an okay excuse <laughs> you're uh, getting married i've been That's distracted a pretty good excuse i've been distracted okay um, I mean, it's not as good an excuse as, like, someone you love died and you're planning the funeral, but... That's true. On the plus side, both of these are posts that I've, like, memorized because I love them. So, I'm, okay. I'm ready to rock and roll. Okay. Uh, so, less wrong posts. The first one was called Professing and Cheering. And in, Yay. <laughs> in this one, Eliezer relates how someone on a panel in a conference was uh, on a panel about whether science and religion are compatible... Gave a big old long explanation about her uh, pagan belief that a cow licked the universe into existence or something. And uh, he says that, first of all, is absolutely just mind-bogglingly unbelievable. But when she was spoken that she spoke with pride? Self-satisfaction? A deliberate flaunting of herself? That strange pride-satisfaction flaunting clearly had something to do with her knowing that her beliefs were scientifically outrageous. And it wasn't that she hated science. She professed that religion and science were compatible. Uh, should I just keep going then real quick? Yeah. Okay. She didn't recite her creation myth with the fanatical faith of someone who needs to reassure herself. She didn't act like she expected us, the audience, to be convinced. If you had to profess a religious belief to satisfy a priest or satisfy a co-religionist, heck, to satisfy your own self-image as a religious person... You would have to pretend to believe much more convincingly than this woman was doing. As she recited her tale of the primordial cow, she wasn't even trying to be persuasive on that front. Wasn't even trying to convince us that she took her own religion seriously. Her recitation of the creation story wasn't about the creation of the world at all. Rather, she was cheering for paganism, like holding up a banner at a football game. But it wasn't just a cheer, like marching, but an outrageous cheer, like marching naked. That's why it mattered to her that she was that what she was saying was beyond ridiculous. If she tried to make it sound more plausible, it would have been like putting on clothes. And I did a lot of editing to shorten that down so that we wouldn't be reading forever. Yeah. That, that's a weird thing. I've 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 run into that sort of thing before. I have too. Mm. It's uh I I don't get it. Does, can someone explain the psychology of this to me? I mean, we can because that's what the next post is about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that was just, I've seen that too. And it's when people don't even pretend to act like they believe what they say they believe is a crazy thing to see. Do you have any examples? You had one that you mentioned like maybe several months ago about you knew somebody who claimed to be a vampire. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> I'm not sure if they took themselves seriously or not. Like, 
hopefully not. I don't not. know. They to the point where like if they had a compulsion, like if they were, you know, if it was some like sex play with consent, like fine, okay, that's that's they, your cup of tea. They your... were literally expecting to die if they reached the age of thirty without finding someone to feed off of. Or are they just saying that? I don't know. It's that, such that, a that's, weird that's belief, point, it's hard, right? It's hard to maybe they, even they don't know, right? Yeah. Um, like I had dumb thoughts when I like when I was a kid, and you know when make believe was really easy. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't imagine what it would be like. I don't know at the age of like driving a car and having a job where like I still was able to entertain stuff that seriously. Yeah. I. But I'm trying well, to think. she wasn't being serious. But that's the thing. Like she didn't. You you could tell she didn't actually believe it. She was just saying that this is what she believed. I'm trying to think of a of something that outlandish I've ever seen in real life. I've definitely seen um, beliefs as attire, and then like the next one is like applause lights, right? But that's next episode. I've what I have seen. No, it's a different one. Belie- applause lights comes later. Uh, what I have seen is since I've you know met some Satanists and gone to a Satanic mass, uh, they're for the most part atheists, right? Or, or at least the ones I met, atheists, agnostics, people who are like, don't really believe in any of this stuff, yeah, but, but like, they say they believe is, it. They're, they're kind of doing that more as a joke. Like, I mean, these people were, it's, it was a weird sort of joke where it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of not. Like, they know it's not real, real, and it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, but on the other hand, they're also like, but this is still my religion. I've, I've never been to a satanic temple, but I imagine that it would also attract the real Satanists, if any actually exist. I don't think any actually exist. And also, the satanic temple was a, you know, little community room that they rented out once a week. <laughs> 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 they brought in folding chairs and that stuff, yeah. There's an episode of... Uh, there was no black altar. <laughs> there's an episode of, of Silicon Valley where one of the, char- one of the characters is a satanist, mm-hmm. and they just, they're just at one of the masses and stuff, and, like, there's a person sitting there naked with a goat head on. Yeah. And then, like, at the end, it's like, okay, guys, that was a lot of fun. Well, our catered meal today, or our meal today is Chick-fil-A. I know the whole gay marriage thing. <laughs> is so darn good. And don't forget, the parking is limited for two hours. So, like, it so was it, similar to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the ritual involved a naked person, and I'm, yeah. I'm picturing that. I'm assuming that the writers had somebody go to one of these things, or you know, one of them actually was a regular attendee or something, because it seemed like mm-hmm. just too spot on. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, maybe that wouldn't attract a real Satanist. There's got to be somebody out there. Like, if there's people out there who you know believe in paganism, or who uh, you know, I, I've had people who who overtly claim to believe like in Norse mythology. <laughs> Me too. And so, like, and they can't literally believe that. There's well, just no way. I, I feel that way about all religious people. And yet, I'm willing to give, like, the Christians, I'll say, okay, they actually, they say they actually believe it. I'm willing that, to give the Christians the benefit of that because they were raised in it from childhood and had it, like, drilled into them, right? Yeah, you don't discover a religion as an adult and be like, oh, that's, that makes sense to me. Right. Um, that said, I had another thing. I forget who, I was, who we were going back and forth with about, um, like, whether or not religious people actually believe abortion is, like, murder. Like, we use murder in real contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, my, I, and I'm, well, you know what, I'll, I'll get the data later, but I, since I've already started, I'll just finish. Okay. The, the number of people who claim to, re, who claim to be, like, who claim to believe that the Bible is l- the literal word of God, I'm pretty sure is lower than the number of people who've actually read the Bible. And, like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's of course a divinely inspired book. It's the, written by the creator of the universe. Oh, I haven't read it. It's kind of, kind of long oh, and boring. I see what you you're know? saying. Yeah. So, like, if you really believe that the, that the creator of the universe, you know, was, if not a published author, a uh, a ghostwriter, or had a ghostwriter for his book, you would you would slog through it, right? Yeah. But you can't you can't say that you believe that, and ac- you can't actually believe that, and like not trouble yourself to read this book. Right. I would I would I submit. I I don't think that. But you think people can't be lazy? <laughs> I 
if you thought this the was the most important, gave me the cliff notes. If you think this is the most important thing in the universe, like if if I believe, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe well, I'm what modeling. What if you thought the most important thing in the universe was understanding really high level mathematics? Would that would you be able to learn those things? If it was as easy to do as reading the Bible, then yes. Have for some you tried people, to read the Bible? It's yeah, for some people, reading the easy. Bible is as hard as doing high-level mathematics. I think maybe high-level mathematics is easy for you then. Like, no, no, it's not easy at all. I'm just saying some people have a really hard time reading. If you're literate, you can get through it. It sucks. But not everyone is... I'm, I think, I think I'm, I'm contesting the analogy, not saying that it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, think, I, I I'm sure you could read the words, but you'd probably think I'm too dumb to understand these because they can't really mean what they're saying, right? Which is the problem? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's that's that puts a good point on it. I'm willing to to concede the point there till I come back with the numbers. Yeah. Like so, someone reading who doesn't have like a world class education sees that God came down and was gonna God came down and met Moses at an inn and was really pissed off at him because he didn't circumcise his son. They'd be like, God couldn't have really met someone at an inn and been pissed off. Let's let's let's. I'm reading this wrong. The priest's got to tell me what this really means. And you know, I suppose I did it with other important things. Like I haven't gone and done primary research on, you know, evolution or anything, right? Yeah. And yet I'll take the scientists at their word for it. Right. I'll, and you I'll... could literally read all the evolution textbooks if you wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I guess at that point though, but the just because the... you could read the words doesn't mean you could understand the science. Right. But I guess the main difference there is that I don't think that's the most important thing in the universe. Yeah. Right. But if you did think it was the most important thing in the universe, do you think you could read the science well enough to? be at scientist level i feel like i'd make i feel like i'd make it a priority in my life right yeah like i think if i really believed and maybe i think i'm modeling like a very like i think i'm modeling like a rationalist religious person where it's like if i really believed that that the religious worldview was the like the actual correct way the world was i'd be like this is super important like i'm going to theology school like i need to i need to understand this on a very important level this mm -hmm. is this is the fucking world right um i guess not everyone can go to theology school. And so the people who do go to theology tell people like, yes, this is the most important thing in the world. And the really important part of it is that you should have kids and, you know, tithe to God and not kill people. And then you're covered. Yeah. If you say so, Mr. Priest. You know. <laughs> right. I mean, you can't. Who do I make the check out to? All right. Cool. <laughs> um, all right. So if someone tells you what the most important thing in the world is telling you to do, if you trust them, good enough. Yeah, I suppose so. I, I, I suppose. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it some more thought. Mm, meanwhile, uh, on to the next one. Yeah. yeah. Belief as attire. Uh, you want to grab this one? Yeah. So uh, another form of improper belief is belief as group identification, as a way of belonging. Robin Hansen uses the excellent metaphor of wearing unusual clothing, a group uniform like a priest's vestments or a Jewish skullcap. And so I'll call this belief as attire. It is very easy for a human being to genuinely, passionately, gut level, belong to a group, to cheer for their f favorite sports team. Identifying with the tribe is a very strong emotional force. People will die for it. And once you get people to identify with the tribe, the beliefs which are attire of that tribe will be spoken with the full passion of belonging to that tribe. So this yeah. is just and where, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh. No, you got it. I mean, so th this is just where uh, you will chant the party line to signal your affiliation to the party. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think yeah. of like any comical examples from real life that I've seen this. I wanted to do the applause lights one. I might have told the story before. I'm sure I have, but it was just like it. It was like I'm sitting there like this. I'm watching the lights. This is crazy. But I mean, the primordial cow I think is a good example of that in real life. 
Yeah. Um, I think that I would call that almost, I was thinking about this. It's almost counter signaling in a way. Um, I think I'm using that phrase wrong, but, uh, it seems more like what that particular woman was trying to do by being at a science conference and then talking about her crazy religion and kind of having everybody laugh at her and laughing at herself is to be a little bit shocking, like to, to be subversive. Like, look how cool I am. I, I believe in this thing. Or like, look how crazy I am. Woo. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's very much a, I believe, I identify so strongly with my tribe, I'm willing to say this patently ridiculous thing in public. Yeah. Or it's just like, I, or I think it'd be just fun to be super weird and I'm going for quirky points. Well, I mean, it could be that too. Yeah. But I think that's, that's a good explanation for a lot of crazy beliefs that people will say, even if they don't act like they believe them. So what's a real example that we see of people doing belief as attire? I mean, is that where like rationalists go around, you know, saying, I guess, no, it's not the same thing as like running around saying buzzwords like singularity or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's going to be maybe more like, uh, I guess, like saying, oh, you should give your money to Miri might, might be a belief as attire kind of thing. Maybe picking at rationalists is not the right way to pick at this, but there should be a way to do it because it, it will look, it could look the same, right? Yeah. Um, as uh i'm trying to think let's i think, think a good example is believing that three different people are one person but that are also three different people <laughs> like I mean, something that is li literally logically incoherent but you say it anyway and you say you actually believe it wait you're saying that's a belief as a tire yeah the trinity if something is logically incoherent how could it not be uh maybe i'm missing what belief as a tire is then i thought that that was a. Uh deliberately wearing something or like wearing in kind of a metaphorical sense I, I, yeah i guess I, I actually i think i see what you're saying like if, if you go around saying yes i believe in the trinity yeah. uh then that it feels pretty similar to the previous thing actually yeah maybe maybe an easier one is just pick any political stance right you know like if if you're having lunch with coworkers or something and they're talking about how you know messed up the uh the drug war is You'd be like, yeah, and those fucking billionaires, am I right? And then like, yeah, you know, like just, I mean, that's... that's Marxism. Yeah. I, I actually think anytime you are in a political discussion and you feel reluctant to disagree with people on your own side, that's a sign that it might be a belief as a tire because you disagree with them on this, but you don't want to say it out loud because that would mark you as not part of the tribe. Hmm. And yeah. I have those moments all the damn time. Or if you just go around the circle and all chime in on how much you agree with each other, that would also be, that would be an example of beliefs as a tire too yeah yeah <laughs> but you might actually yeah. believe that thing <laughs> perfect but we, you we, might actually believe that thing but that's not a prerequisite for beliefs as a tire right or, yeah. it, or rather that's not an exclusionary factor of it yeah. yes part you know you can you can either it's just it's you can more either, obvious when the belief is ridiculous you can either profess the belief and that counts or you can actually believe the belief and profess it and that counts too yeah yeah all right I don't have much else to say on that one. No, me neither. It's, it's fun. It was it was interesting, and when I first read it, quite the revelation, which was, you know, why I read the sequences to be like, oh my god, that explains this thing that I never could quite figure out. Yeah, like, and, and, it, and also, at this point, it's been out for like what fifteen years, so it's not nearly the revelation that it was when you first read it, or when I first read it. But it does explain that people spend sixty bucks on a football jersey to wear around, you know. Right. Or, you know, maybe the modern version of my daily life is like people's laptop stickers. Mm. And it's like, why do you have, you know, an AWS sticker on your laptop? It's like, oh, you want to tell me that you know 
work or that you worked for this, or you went to a conference or something. Okay, cool. Well, let's not like, believe um, it as a tire. That's just a tire as a tire. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Like you could, I don't know. There's some like you could say that corporate culture is a belief or a corporate of <laughs> if you buy into it. What's, now, what's the thing where you uh, identify? Maybe it's just brand identification. Mm-hmm. What's the thing where you identify with a brand? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, maybe like owning Apple products and oh. being really like gung-ho about apple products uh, that's like an in general tribalism i think yeah. if you were like convinced that apple is always superior and the best oh i've met people like that yeah then that would be more of a belief as a tire thing no like i knew someone that owned every new apple device as soon as it came out and wouldn't shut up about how great and visionary steve jobs was and i mean I to be fair steve that way jobs was pretty amazing i wonder if they still feel that way if they've jumped off the train now that apple stopped innovating um i don't know yeah um, maybe you're just too entrenched and you just got to keep saying that that would be just belief as a tire professing you know now they're at the point of just uh you know professing and cheering right it's like they, they now they don't really believe this stuff anymore but if they're committed they've got to say it <laughs> um that's actually not yeah. really the point of that post either i'm kind of trying to think whether uh robin hansen's writing about signaling has kind of superseded some of these sequences at this point mm. i feel like they're a bit more targeted like in a in the sense of he definitely explored them more and was a lot more academic and thorough about them. I, it, I guess um, it depends on how much you love evolutionary psychology, but okay, here's like not only, I, I guess, an evolutionary psychology explanation for this behavior, but like game theoretic explanations. Um, it makes it a lot more coherent for me where I can look at people doing these crazy behaviors and like, why are you doing this? This is ridiculous. And it's like, oh, this actually was adaptive. Kind of the whole... Uh, cultural evolution thing yeah. all comes back together and the, uh, the the mental model of the press secretary you know like it doesn't matter if you actually believe this or not you'll say you you'll convince yourself oh, you oh. believe it right um the yeah. press secretary of the of the person yeah the brain i'm also a little distracted at the sequence part of this whole episode because i am at a bit of a time crunch so oh well um, in that case we should f- uh, wrap up i think so sorry okay. yeah no problem sorry about that no no it's yeah i didn't i didn't mention you guys didn't know but i'm never too busy to thank our gracious patrons Hell oh, yes. I got another easy one. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, John Clark, this is your your episode. Thank you so much. Thank you, John uh, Clark. Yeah, we John. Really, yeah, we really appreciate it. This, I, I now I'm at the point where like I'm meta commenting on how I always say the same thing. But, <laughs> right. um, just because we say the same thing every every episode doesn't mean it means any less. And uh, today's, you know, we're calling you out. This is awesome. Thanks, yeah. John. Maybe next you time out in a good way. Yes. Yeah. Maybe next time we'll work on our thinking talking thing i've heard other podcasts where they do this every episode and there's no gr- that i found gracious way to do it okay other unless you just list the names yeah then, but that seems lame yeah just, I, w- I want to tell you how personally important it is so yeah. you have made a difference for our lives and our self-esteem and the esteem of our podcast in our own uh, estimation yeah perfect wow that was good okay i thought it was terrible and awkward you made it. You tried to do a thing, and I, I value that. Good okay. job. Cool. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who listens to us and makes this possible, and to John Clark in specific this week. Yep. Yeah. And once again, plug in the Discord. We'll have the link in every show note going forward. Yeah. Um, come by, do stuff, say hi, and uh, or lurk like I do. Yeah. And if Discord's not your thing, we also have the subreddit. That's right. R slash the Bayesian Conspiracy. Exactly. Reach out to us directly via email at BayesianConspiracyPodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And I guess comment on the website. Yeah, leave a review at iTunes. That helps more people find the podcast. Yeah. 
tell your friends absolutely coworkers, parents that actually works a lot better than reviews on itunes because you know then you hear it from someone you actually trust to have good taste tell your enemies just for fun <laughs> <laughs> all right let us know how that goes all right thanks everyone cheers bye bye bye